You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, Rifters. This is Riffs and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast. We go through many 5e books and talk about various rules and haunted gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riffwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riffwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk about economics. Cha-ching. Nathan, what is economics? Economics is the way that money acts on a bigger scale. <laughs> Yay. Partially correct. It is all levels of the production, consumption, and transfer of wealth. It is that entire branch of knowledge. So there exactly is you know, the large-scale economics, as you were talking about, but technically just a person buying a thing is still economics. <laughs> so in this particular instance, though, in Dungeons & Dragons, why should we care about economics? Okay, have you ever been on Reddit and seen that thing where, hey guys, I've, I've discovered the ultimate magic trick that makes us infinitely rich. You just need to cast <laughs> this spell and you, you have all the X thing that you can do and you can sell it to everyone. Okay, I thought you were going to talk about an actual pyramid scheme, but no, you're just talking about the D&D Reddits. Yes, I have yeah. seen that. Oh, pyramid schemes are fun too. <laughs> Come join <laughs> the, the Riffwake like podcast and start. Stop it. Start. No, <laughs> no, I still am not giving you permission to start that. No. Okay. <laughs> but in all seriousness, yes, I have come across what you're talking about. Typically, when you get something like that and there's a lot of new shit appearing in your world, there's always this like a sort of hacky sort of thing that that, that kind of comes across from this kind of post. But then you realize, well, what's a suitable solution to somebody doing this without seem t seeming too much like an ass and being like, no, you can't do that. Which honestly is the easiest way to do it, but it's not as fun as what I'm going to be talking about. Well, a very often um, proposed solution is one where basically the valuation of the item that's being duplicated, created, drops in value because there's a lot of supply where there isn't a lot of demand to meet that massive amount of supply. Okay. So, as I am so often want to do, let me zoom out for a moment to give a little bit more perspective. So, you are absolutely correct when talking about importance of supply and demand. 
However, where I was trying to lead that question at the start is to get the thought in a dungeon master's brain of economics is an important factor in the world. How important is up to an individual dungeon master? Because in a D&D world, it could be argued that there are two different economies in the world. There is the economy around and influencing and influenced by the player characters, and then there's everyone else. And how much you want to think about each of these two economies is honestly questionable. Because, yeah, yet generally speaking, if a dungeon master just needs a certain NPC or empire or country or city to have a certain thing or a certain amount of wealth, then they will. Most dungeon masters don't build economies in their D&D right. world. Before I say it, Nathan, what do you think I'm about to say next? Oh, I, Remy, have created every single possible thing. Look, <laughs> here are the economic graphs over this, um, this, this year's uh, financial quarter. Uh, you, you can see uh, the, the recent um, the, the stock market of X location isn't the stocks aren't doing so well. And these people who were uh, who had put a lot of their gold under these stocks, well, they're not doing so good. So they're taking worldly actions to play behind the scenes and do a little bit of insider trading what and whatnot. You know, typical Remy. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, you were on the right track, although you also made it very apparent to me that you don't know economics in your descriptions, because yeah. the whole point of quarterly <laughs> is seasonal four times a year, quarter, so unless yes. it was an annual summation of quarterly report. Anyway, that's just me being a snob. <laughs> <laughs> but otherwise, yeah, pretty much, because... I love thinking about world building like, duh, that is known at this point in time that that's just one of my favorite things because it's just a fun thing for me to just think about to just pass my time when I am not able to just play in my game. So how much is practical? Obviously, much less than what I actually do. So as with all things in D&D, this is yet another spectrum. So you can go the Nathan route of not giving a shit about the entire subject and not planning economies whatsoever. Yay. <laughs> or you could go the Remy route of having absolutely everything quantified. So Nathan, you were being, well, you were being a shit, but you were accurate at the same time for a lot of it. But in terms of what I actually have, like I actually did come up with separate systems plural of taxation that different cities use in order to figure out how much wealth each you know city or kingdom in my world would have access to and then using that i just figured out a basic kind of budgeting system of okay so if a kingdom makes this much wealth they have to spend this much wealth on like defenses like different cities have different prioritizations of like taking care of the poor you know some places take, you know, okay. care of public education as like different, you know, public goods with that wealth and just having an actual budget. So I can know, oh, this kingdom believes in spending a lot of money. So they actually are a, quite a bit in the red and that they're not doing well because they're spending all this gold. So I think about the economics of my world to actually affect adventures that become available in my world as a consequence of that fact. Is I, that I realize excessive? something. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I realize Nathan? something, right, Remy? I, I, I think the biggest differentiation... Fuck. 
I think the biggest, <laughs> biggest, uh, <laughs> I think the biggest differentiator between me and you, right, is that you plan out everything and then I like down to the numbers. Well, I'm the kind of person that's like, okay, this has become relevant. I'm just gonna do the head math for it and extrapolate a result rather than like taking the steps. Kinda. But the difference also is that where we come off rather separately on a different Dungeon Master spectrum, honestly, is the fact that, yes, I do think of all of these numbers, but I use this so that I can play my world as a sandbox. I do this to build out the setting that my players just have the option to poke into different things. But on the other hand, you have a very set story that you're trying to tell at any given moment so you're usually guiding the players in a specific direction so you don't necessarily need to have all of this other stuff figured out because it's not relevant to the story that you're trying to tell right that that's very true right and that's just a difference in stylistically how we play like because i am so fond of the sandbox style i want to have my world super super built out and developed so that at any given moment my players can decide like i don't like this guy that we're currently working for stab 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 okay what if we just walk for three weeks in this direction what's there ah yes that is the city of such and such uh it is having this rivalry with such and such over these trade goods uh this place nearby has also got a mine that is having a little bit of issues that turn out to right. be, you know, caused by this competitive mind nearby. Like, I know my world so that my players can just do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah, in my case, like, if they did the same thing, I'd be like, okay, everything is broken. I'm going to create <laughs> everything on the spot right now. And that's how I, no, you <laughs> that's how I run. You would not. You would just make up a thing, and then I would give yes. you shit about it. And you're like, oh, yeah, yes. what should it be? And then I give you the numbers. <laughs> yeah <laughs> like oh wait that's a magic that already exists cool <laughs> see last week <laughs> you know just m make it up it's all right <laughs> honestly it is like again this is one of those points that i do want to be sure i am clear on i have fun doing this i like numbers a lot that is not the case for all people do you need to go as far as I do? Hell no. Do I suggest you do more than nothing? Yes. So let's focus more in the middle than my own level of craziness. So Nathan, what do you think would be a more reasonable middle ground for how much to think about from the world building perspective? I think uh, really all you need to think about is the major imports and exports, really. Like the one things. Yeah, that is a fantastic place to start. But I would also just add one little extra detail of that of just how wealthy or not wealthy is the result of trading for a place. So is a place sitting on a lot of money and either spending it or not spending it like that, I think, helps kind of shape the feel of a place. Like if you have uh, in Riftwake, you know, there is the city of thieves that is, you know, not exactly a highly regulated place. However, it's also hasn't been burned to the ground like it is not complete anarchy there. So that would imply then that there are some form of big picture controls so that there is some form of stable government, even in like a city of thieves. So in your own worlds, whether that is like an official government that might be very, very corrupt and taking bribes, whether it is like a thieves guild or assassins guild 
that is just pulling the strings of whatever lord might be in charge of the area, you know, that's all up to you. But very few places, even in a D&D world, are going to be a complete anarchy. And money is generally going to be one of the main factors of control. Even in a high magic world, which is honestly a strange thing to think about, because you would assume that, you know, yeah, of course, you know, powerful individual might be the person actually in charge. But that's not necessarily going to be the case, because generally speaking, if you have like really high level wizards in the world, like they're not likely to give a shit about running a place. They just want to, you know, either study their magic or just they have their own goals and they may or may not want to. Are there going to be some magocracies? Yeah, sure. Like some magic users will want control, but more often than not, they probably won't care. So it really does come down to gold a lot of the time, especially if you also consider that if you do have someone with just some obscene amount of wealth, they can hire some of those powerful magic users to do stuff for them. And even if they don't do it terribly often, if you have just a very rich individual that just has a powerful magic user on retainer, they may not be as powerful themselves, but they sure have access to power, even if it is not theirs personally. And thinking about just that kind of power distribution in your world gives a lot of story opportunity, which is part of why thinking about the presence and applications of wealth can be a very valuable thing for the sake of world building in a D&D world. So let's move on then to the second type of economy that I mentioned, which is specifically around player characters. So Nathan, why would it be different for player characters than from the world building perspective? Players are uncontrolled, a, a chaotic <laughs> force within the world. There is nothing you can do. You have to, I mean, you have to run. I mean, you're not wrong about that, but I again, we're talking economics here, not <laughs> right. <just> chaotic players. <laughs> So, uh, in regards to economics, you have you, like the big ones are players who create lots of shit that normally wouldn't be around, and players who raid dungeons and bring rare and precious things into a world that hasn't had them. Yeah. So, player characters, on average, are fucking rich, like really, really wealthy, just compared to the average other person in the world so just other npcs are generally going to not have near the level of wealth of even middling player characters so if you just get to the point of just mid-level player characters like if you just get to the point of level eight or so you probably have like a couple of magic items potentially by that point and just bucket loads of coin by that point in time and a result of that is that also just something that players and dungeon masters really just fail to understand or even consider a lot of the time is the value of a gold coin. I have talked about this at length. We even did an episode specifically on gold way back in the day, but it does bear repeating. A gold coin is not a dollar. Like I have done quite a number of calculations and equivalencies to just play with this and figure out. And again, we talk about that in the gold episode, if you are curious to hear more. But a gold coin is more like $100. So a copper is a dollar, a silver $10, and a gold coin $100-ish in US dollars modern. So thinking about that, how often in a D&D game do you see a player character that just, you know, tips a bartender 10 gold as thanks, you know, even after they paid like a silver for their drink? 
Like you see that pretty often. And that's like handing a thousand dollars over. That is not insignificant. So immediately player characters just accidentally a lot of the time show themselves off as just not caring a lot about the amount of gold that they have and they spend it very very freely and this is something that ought to and occasionally does thankfully get attention from other people around them whether that is just other bartenders or you know people in the shadows that just pay attention to such rumors yeah people in the shadows are very dangerous (laughs) says you currently in the shadows but in all seriousness, in all seriousness, player characters are fucking rich. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So again, if you consider that same eighth level or so character, okay, magic items don't have economic impact according to fifth edition rules as written, which I'll be honest, is one of my least favorite facts of fifth edition. I despise the fact that by rules as written, there is no way to really buy or sell or create magic items in a practical manner. Yes, I'm aware that there are kind of rules about it in downtime and there's more rules than xanathars i know you don't need to tell me about the rules i know but they're bad and dumb and the whole idea of there being so little magic items in the world infuriates me because again i am a high magic dungeon master that is simply my preference in world building so to not even have (laughs) he's a very high dungeon master only occasionally but thinking about magic items they're fun and cool and one of the just reasons to play dungeons and dragons is just to see cool magical shit even if you want to play a non-magic using character you still want to get cool stuff like the idea of cool loot is one of the draws of dungeons and dragons so to not have an economic system for magic items infuriates me and to be honest that's probably going to be an entire episode in its own right at some point in the future but player characters have like thousands of gold at their disposal and no real way to use it in a lot of D&D, fifth edition particularly because in theory there is suggestions of building a stronghold once you get to a certain level of wealth and power but in practicality most player characters aren't ready to settle down by the time that they start even accruing that level of wealth. So they just are continuing on with, you know, thousands and thousands of gold coins, and it just, it doesn't work in practical terms. So on the internet, you will easily be able to find many Reddit posts and forums and just many, many places that talk about how the 5th edition economy is broken. And yeah, they're right. There is no good system for dealing with the wealth of player characters. There is no easy way for them to just spend gold to get stuff because there is no system to really buy a magic item that they want or to easily commission a thing. And anything that they do try to buy will take just an excessive amount of time because 
try even if you do have a player character who is interested in the idea of a stronghold they take years of in-game time to build for the biggest things years and years Shit. so if you're right so if you're trying Ow. to that's the question ain't it so as a dungeon master are you just gonna do a time skip of just years later where they do no adventuring that isn't interesting to me like honestly i just checked for curiosity so yeah to build a large castle takes 1200 days that's because that's a days. nice round number wait remy i do have the same best thing i've ever done is just uh, allow players to just get cool magical shit from yes <laughs> and i honestly sincerely appreciate that about you and the funny thing is you created a magic item system in Riftwake just because you noticed without thinking about it that there were no good rules for it not that you actually read the books but you made your own system and i appreciate that about you oh thanks <laughs> but but yeah but even when it comes to just the few rules that do exist for the sake of just crafting a magic item like okay there are two different sets of rules which is troublesome too but even then it could easily take months or over a year depending on what you're trying to make and how expensive the thing is and again it's just troublesome so if you just have a character who just has 5000 gold and is just trying to do something fun with it it's not fun during an adventure in a dnd game to say oh okay i'll start making that for you come back in eight months and i'll have a thing for you again if they succeed on rolls to be able to find someone to make them a thing come back in eight months isn't interesting storytelling <laughs> like honestly what i think has happened here is basically actually in general including with like um the downtime stuff a lot of the people who created 5e have something in their minds that makes them think that, okay, the way we're going to play this game, right, is we're, we're going to have go an, on adventure, an adventure a year. And then we're going to take a long break, a long hiatus where we're going to sit down, chill, read a couple books, you know, have a uh -huh. beer. And then we're going to be like, oh, a year is back. We should do we something. We probably should get, yeah, we should do something. This kind of boring, eh? <laughs> it's like, okay, uh, it's time to go. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I like a lot of the things in 5th edition, but that is one of my biggest peeves with the entire system. It just makes a few assumptions here and there that just don't reflect the way that the game is played. <sighs> anyway, now that I got that out of my system. So the question does become, though, OK, players have wealth. What do you do about it? So before I go off again, your thoughts, Nathan? Well, you give them cool upgrades that they can dub 5,000 gold pieces into. Yes! Make them able to get cool stuff. Whether that is having, you know, ye old magic shop, or whether that is having, you know, friendly artificers that are able to just actually take commission work, like, and in a reasonable time frame, which is another thing I very much appreciate about how you did that, Nathan, a few days is a reasonable thing. Because Honestly, then you a few have days the situation, is perfect. It's great you can because get that gives a holiday, players, basically. Yeah, because your players can either take a holiday or if you have our kind of luck, you get into a situation where it'd be real nice if you had that weapon in the midst of that time frame. <laughs> yeah. Fuck you. And not have your friend you, get, hit by a, get hit by a mug. <laughs> Empowered by Divine Smite because you're really a piece of shit. <laughs> anyway, but yeah. Come up with your own system to make use of players well. Ideally, 
through magic items, because honestly, in a D&D game, that is my suggestion on the way to go. Whether you do want to, you know, give the option of having like a stronghold home base kind of situation, like magic item is the easiest way to just drain wealth from a party. And it's a way that players can see an actual physical well not physical but you know what i mean a reward like a tangible reward for their character in a way that is more interesting to them than just you know a number of gold pieces on their character sheet giving them access to like cool things is the way to do it whether that is like actually you know uh, statistically significant magic items like you know armor upgrades or weapon upgrades or just cool effects of things that they have like depending on exactly how you treat magic in your world you can have a magic item that just does anything so if you have like a particularly wealthy family that just you know equips their you know uh butlers and and such with like a ring of prestidigitation like oh wow like that's a show-offy kind of thing that also does provide tangible benefit and just you know for myself of course i love all of my characters to get some form of item of prestidigitation just for the quality of life improvement to the character themselves and you know obviously i'm biased for prestidigitation but even just other magics that exist in game can be used in the form of a magic item in interesting ways. So like, a, there's another one. Uh, what is it? Stone to mud, rock to mud, something like that. I don't have that tab open because I wasn't planning to talk about that one. But there is a spell that lets you like turn rock into mud or vice versa. There's another spell that just lets you move loose earth. So mold earth. So with those two spells in combination, and then especially if you were to just you know, include a magic item or something to let a construction team, for example, make use of this. Imagine how amazingly effective it would be in a higher magic world where you can like go to a quarry, turn just the rock that you need into mud, use other magic to just move it onto like a cart or into a bag of holding or a you know portable hole or some such and just be able to quarry rock without the use of mining and then also once you do just have rock in mud form you could also just use that to make like prefab stone slabs after it is you know just shapeable in mud form and just have like prefab housing using like this you know strong granite that you just temporarily turn into mud and then you have a block less stone constructed building that would be incredibly durable incredibly easy to build construction wise and then you have a magical conduct construction industry in your world through the use of a magic Remy, item or two you forgot the yes. last bit incredibly oh. cool <laughs> yes and again, just imagine just the effect of being able to describe that kind of thing just to your players. That they're just traveling through a magic rich nation and they just see magical construction going on. Or another one, uh, there's the spell Bigby's Hand. That's just a, a giant magic hand that is very strong. And then imagine just like, again, magical construction, just instead of using people, just a hand that's like Master Hand in Super Smash Brothers with an enormous mining pick that is doing that to do the mining construction and building. And you just have just like a line of wizards all casting Big B's hands. Like magical construction is something I think about a lot in all honesty. But the point being that just thinking about using magic items to give more to the party and to just allow them to see and do 
cool things, even if it isn't directly helpful in combat. Like, again, the reason I was bringing up the magic construction angle, it's a fun thought to me to give that kind of item to a party so that every day they might, you know, just have, like, instead of a wand of fireball, to just reskin to another third level spell, the Galder's Tower. So Galder's Tower just conjures, like, a wizard tower kind of thing at, with, you know, a third level spell. No material component cost. So a wand of that would be pretty easy, magically speaking. So imagine a player that just like, you know, an ancient, you know, group, an ancient party that may not, you know, be still be traveling, just like might have set up some of these all over the place as they traveled about. And it might be like a tradition of a particular adventurer's guild to just make these wizard towers just all over the fucking place that just is useful as just rest stops for the night just between you know particular cities in the world and then there just are these just magical towers that just stay there because one nice aspect of that particular spell is that that's one of those that if you cast it every day for a year becomes permanent so if you have like a guild that was devoted to setting these up then you could just have these towers set up just all over your world of just like oh cool like these were just built for the sake of you know guild mates to just take advantage of and that they might just you know be locked with an arcane lock that is openable by people who have the guild sigil and then you just have these kind of rest stops throughout your world and again if you did just have magic items that either create these things or even just a magic item specifically just to be able to open or access them like maybe like there's the guild tradition it's just that only those who wield a staff of healing are able to like that's the trigger to open the arcane lock then that's cool that's world building that is an amazing use of resources to build your world and the fact that there isn't any kind of useful system for doing that in game pisses me the fuck off <clears throat> in summary whether it is thinking about the world building perspective or the player character interaction with wealth thinking about how an economic system works in your world can be an incredibly valuable thing and even if you don't take it nearly so far as i do thinking at least about the basics can be a very rewarding experience for yourself and your players thanks for listening to this episode of riffs and rules please leave us a review and give us five stars on itunes also support us on patreon at patreon.com slash podcast tiers start as low as a dollar and even that much really helps us out Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the monthly hangout where you'll be able to chat with the cast, and even input on Riffs and Rules topics. Find us on social media, on Twitter, at Riftwake Podcast, on Facebook as Riftwake, on Reddit, on the subreddit, r slash Riftwake Podcast, and you can send us an email, riftwakepodcast at gmail.com. And that's it for today. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. 
Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.